work. This is a terrible call. This thing going to work. And if the kid would pop for 12 yards right in midstream, he'd be like, right in the middle. This is a terrible call. Great call. That's a great call. I love it. I love it. And, and But if it was minus six, he'd be like, I told you that was a Welcome, everybody, Westcon Football Podcast. Bart Pastrana with the man, the myth, the legend, Coach Joe Loth, as we will be talking today with somebody else connected to this Westcon Wolves program, a, a, a gentleman who made not one but two stops at Westcon as uh, a coach, Kirk Sharaka. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to Kirk today. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, worked together here back in the 90s. He's done a tremendous job, obviously, looking at his resume. If you followed him at all, I've uh, been at a bunch of Big Ten schools all over the country. And uh, really excited to talk to Kirk today. Yeah, offensive coordinator with Minnesota. And that's a, trust me, it's the last time I'll say Minnesota that way because I don't <laughs> want to take anybody. Because yeah, we, we do get the podcast does reach. We have proven that. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, um, uh, you know, Florida – California, Texas, gotten uh, nice notes from, and uh, and a local guy uh, reached out, a guy who ended up being local. Uh, Jason Plachinski reached out. Yeah, former really good offensive lineman here at Western Connecticut. Might have been an All-American, Stat Island guy. Oh, and, and, and we should add a guy who uh, certainly has been a presence in attendance at WestCon football yeah, ball games. He makes sure his, his fanny's uh, in the seats. Yeah, definitely a big supporter of the program. Oh, loving it, loving it, loving it. Well, um, before we get cooking with uh, Coach Sharaka, I want to mention that the podcast being brought to you in part by Vision Designs, right? Yeah, uh, sponsored by Vision Design. Tom Feely, uh, co-owner over there, uh, former player, offensive lineman here, great player. And love, obviously, when guys support our program, whether they're former players, whether they're alumni, whether they're just friends of football. We actually have another sponsor today, talked over at Soho Pizza, best pizza in Danbury. And uh, they're, they're going to be one of our sponsors, and I uh, appreciate that too. Love it. I love the crust at Soho Pizza. So good. So good. And, oh, well, I want to mention uh, also that, uh, you know, when we record these and then we release these, we, again, do love to get your reaction. So while I was mentioning people who've touched base with us, we should mention, again, how they can stay in touch with us. Yeah, uh, the easiest way is just email football at wcsu.edu. Uh, whether you want, you got a question, a suggestion, a, uh, you know, a comment, or even if you want to sponsor the program, all those things, it's easiest to meet, uh, reach us at football at wcsu.edu. And you can always find uh, Westcon Football on Facebook, on Instagram, and you want to reach out to me, you can always go on Twitter at Bart Basterna, and I will always respond. I may not respond immediately because I could be in the middle of something tragically important like— Like doing like, this podcast. Like doing this podcast. So, you know, that's the way it works. But when we return with us will be the one and only Kirk Chiraca, who has um, certainly made a great name for himself. He's been a longtime college football coach, despite his youth. He's been a longtime coach and uh, has worked and, and helped mold some outstanding talent 
over the years. I know everybody will bring up Joe Flacco, but there's there's Kenny Britt, uh, the Davis kid, outstanding yep. wide receiver. So uh, so many. So we want to delve. We want to go deep, delve in. And and to be honest, one of the nicest guys uh, that I that I know when coaching, you know, college football and stuff like, just a great guy. Oh, and 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 honest as the day is long. And boy, uh, a refreshing individual. And his his time at Westcon was well appreciated. So Kirk Scirocco will be with us. Coach Loth and I will return in just moments on the Westcon Football Podcast. Folks, today's podcast sponsored by Vision Designs. Vision Designs, a full-service screen printing, embroidery, signage, and promotional company offering their services to the tri-state and New England regions. Since 2003, they've had the reputation as an industry leader in all their fields of operations. Vision Designs, proud sponsor of Westcon Football and the entire program, my friends. You can contact them through their website, visiondesignsct.com visiondesignsct.com or you can call their main number 203-778-9898-203-778-9898 Welcome back to the Westcon Football Podcast Bart Pasterna with Coach Joe Loth and we have an extra special guest uh, this week the man returns to Minnesota Coach Kirk Sharaka is with us. Welcome, Coach. Uh, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Great to see Joe. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I was telling Bart, Kirk's one of my good friends and coach, and I was excited to uh, talk to you today. But, Coach, if you don't mind, i got to get something out of the way early. Now that you're back in Minnesota, there have been rumors, and trust me, they're just rumors, that it's really an imposter and not Coach P.J. Fleck who's running the show there. Uh, you know, because people brought up, hey, it doesn't quite look like Coach Fleck. You can confirm it's Coach Fleck. Well, it's definitely him. Uh, Joe, Joe, Joe can tell you I'm not the most observant guy in the world. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's definitely him. Well, if you next time you run into him, we're glad the the little the eye thing is all fixed now. And and tell him the ladies think he looks purtier, okay? Just to let him know. But well, maybe I should I, should I run out in the hallway and see if I can find him? <laughs> and you can yourself. I don't know. I don't even know what happened. What happened with with, with Coach? Well, Fox? a couple of years ago, right? He had a um, he had an eye injury. Yeah. And but he had to wait an extended period of time because, like Coach Sharaka, like yourself, twenty four seven guys, you got to find the time to get things done. And so he got a little. He got work done to get back to normal. Uh, and, and so all these people, uh, all of a sudden, the, the journalists covering the team, they're like, wait a minute. It's not. It's, hey, <laughs> you know, it's yes. Aliens came down and replaced Coach Fleck. Yeah, I have no hey. idea what's going on here, Kurt. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, he, he had an eye injury, and it had to go for uh, – it was one of those things that they said, hey, was, we should wait 12 months because it might heal itself. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he had to wait 12 months, and then he had to have surgery. Um, 
I see no difference. I, I don't see any. I don't see <laughs> what the big deal is, but whatever. Well, I'm, I'm just glad you can straighten this out. You know, I yeah. appreciate that. And yeah, you go. obviously must be glad to be back uh, in the saddle and, and riding with Coach Fleck again. Yeah, it's it's great. You know, I'm fortunate to be able to come back to this place that uh, we had some success here. And, you know, I've been with uh, PJ for this will be my eighth season with him. And it's uh, certainly has worked really well for me. And I have a lot of respect for him and the job that he does as a head coach makes my job a lot easier. You and you had been with him in two prior stops, uh, Minnesota, obviously. Uh, but uh, but even be, even before that, so there's there's a great working relationship going on there, and yeah. and you certainly have some some nice talent hanging out. Yeah, we we've been really blessed. You know, we had some really good players at Western Michigan when we were together, and then uh, we've been able to you know get some really good players here. So when you have really good players, usually you have a really good team, and <laughs> been the beneficiary of that. <laughs> now you guys, you said. Coach Loth, you guys are buds again. Obviously, besides being friends, you had a working relationship too. Yeah, way back when, back shoot, nineteen nineties, mid nineties, whatever. Me and Kirk worked <laughs> together and stuff. So, and uh, I'm sure uh, I guarantee what Kirk is running now is a lot different than uh, what he ran in the mid nineties too. Uh, no doubt about that. <laughs> not, better, you're not uh, running a lot of on probably at Minnesota, right? <laughs> It's still one of my favorite plays of all time, 42 and 43 on. And Eric Barabo, one of my favorite players of all time, and carrying that ball and, and uh, making making us look smart uh, when we did. But a lot of great times. Um, just uh, we had a, a really good staff, a lot of talented guys that were just kind of getting started in their careers. And uh, they got along really well. And, I mean, the <laughs> – if we weren't crying, we were laughing. That's for sure. <laughs> and we luckily we did a lot of laughing together. Coach, for you, um, you come to the coaching game in, in kind of a different way than a lot of others. There, you you didn't have the opportunity to uh, due to injury to play four years of of college football, but uh, you went the educational route. At, at Temple, so I'm wondering that that passion that you have displayed throughout your career. When did that that passion really start to say, "Okay, can't play"? Were you thinking about coaching, or is you really wanted to stay in the game? Yeah, I, I think really at a really young age, um, you know, I can remember playing pop Warner football and probably thinking about the game maybe a little different than. Uh, my teammates, you know, of being able to, my Pop Warner coaches would probably say I, they felt like I wanted to be the coach. Um, <laughs> but I would discuss with them, have discussions about plays and things like that. Um, at a young age, I can remember that uh, clearly. And I was blessed with some great Pop Warner coaches that had a lot of patience with, you know, some little 11 year old kid who uh, wanted to talk about football with them. Um, so I, I, I probably, you know, knew again at a young age that that's what I wanted to do. And, um, but it was after I got injured in college, um, I knew for sure that I wanted to be involved in, in football and in coaching in some way, uh, with it. Um, 
you know, and once I realized, I really, honestly, though, I really, really wanted to be a general manager of a baseball team. And once I realized as I was in college that like there was very little chance of that um, happening, then I, I, I turned my attention to football and to coaching and, you know, just was blessed with getting a, a couple of different opportunities and being able to move up the ladder. But how does a defensive guy, you're a defensive back, how, how yeah. does he become an offensive guru? Well, uh, I w- guru is a very loose word, but uh, <laughs> I, I would say uh, it was really simple. I was coaching at a high school in Philadelphia, and I was the defensive coordinator there. And uh, Temple was recruiting a couple of our players, and they came in the school, and the head coach there um, told them that, hey, I got a young guy that wants to be a GA, and they happened to be looking for a GA on offense. And um, he goes, well, we're looking for uh, an offensive GA. And I was already uh, taking a grad school class there. So I was already in grad school. And so I could like start immediately. Uh, So that really attracted them to me and it was on offense. So I was like, I I remember talking to the head coach saying, well, I I like defense. And he was like, dude, you had no idea at the time what the opportunity was, right? Yeah, I was like, I have no, uh, he goes, you have no idea how hard it is to get a GA. You take whatever you can get. And so I did. And um, we at Temple at the time, Coach Burnt was the head coach. And again, like there's so many things in my career where I felt really fortunate about. He had a really young offensive staff and um, they were willing to sit down and explain things to me and spend time with me and let me spend time with them watching film. And, you know, the offensive coordinator was a guy by the name of Don Dobes, um, who I owe a ton to. Um, He's a defense coordinator. He's actually the defense coordinator now at Dartmouth and doing a great job, but he spent a ton of time with me and was willing to teach and explain things to me. And so when I look back on that experience, I was like, wow, I was really lucky those guys were young and they were eager to help somebody and, and mentor them along the way. So that's how, I, and I, I really enjoyed it. I initially, I thought, well, I'll, I'll switch to defense when an opportunity comes up, but those guys were such good people and, and mentor me so well that when that opportunity came along, I, I didn't want to do it. I was like, wow, this is great for me and we'll see where this takes me. And I really, really enjoyed uh, working with the quarterbacks and the skill guys. And so I, I just stayed with it on offense. Is that a philosophy that you continue today? You take from them the time they spent with you? Uh, do you impart upon your offensive staff to do the, do the same thing? I really believe that like you got to invest in your people and, you know, I I probably, uh, I probably can do, I think everybody probably can do a better job in it, but I do, uh, I I do try to invest in our young guys, um, you know, our GAs and our our support staff and uh, help them along the way is the same way they help me. I don't have as much, I use the excuse I don't have as much time to do it, but I, I think that we have a philosophy here that we've got to invest in our people. And I, I try to do that with the assistant coaches and, the, you know, our support staff. I really do because I know how important it was to me. 
Kirk, here's a question for you. You know, obviously you work, I always say, for a unique coach and Coach Fleck, energy guy like he is. What makes uh, working for Coach Fleck or what makes him unique as a head coach? I think that he has a, a great ability to motivate people in a positive manner um, and hold you, but hold you accountable, but it's still in a positive manner. You know, you want to do really well for him. Uh, he also is a guy that, um, you know, his energy is contagious. Um, so that like he's relentless and in, in the things he believes in, he's relentless in the pursuit of them. Right. So the way you know, the energy that he wants us to practice with and the players to practice with, you know, he, he holds us accountable for that with the players again, in a positive way, he doesn't beat you down. Um, he was also a great position coach. And so he, I was the coordinator at Rutgers and he was the receivers coach. So I know that. So he has a, does a great job of coaching his coaches, even though he's not the expert, um, at, at the positions that he'd be the first one to, to tell you, but he always has some unique ideas. Maybe it's about your drill or whatever, or how to teach, how to present it to your players. Um, and he, he makes it easy for you too, because he does a great job handling the team and motivating the team um, on a daily basis. He has a team meeting every day. Uh, and, you know, it, it it's mostly life lessons, but they're life lessons that apply to football, right? You know, which really that's what makes our game so great is most of the things that allow you to be successful in football are the same things that allow you to be successful in life as a husband in the community, whatever. So um, they're, they're the things that, you know, that energy that he has is real. People ask me that all the time. Um, you know, that ability to be relentless in pursuit of what you believe in. I think it's really easy. You know, like you ask coaches what they believe in and they'll tell you what they believe in. But if you go and observe them or observe their practices, where are you seeing that? You know, like uh, the ball is such a great example. Everybody believes that, you know, you got to take care of the ball. Um, but I go watch practices and I don't hear anybody talking about it on the practice field or reinforcing it. I see guys carrying the ball every which way. And you don't really see that with, with PJ, you know, what he believes in, he's relentless in the pursuit of that and uh, gives you ideas and thoughts on how to get your players to get to that point that he wants them at. Um, so, but the, the biggest thing with him is he's a really good leader and he does a great job of taking care of what he needs to take care of. You know, in order to make your job easier as a coordinator or a position coach, you know, you don't you don't the, I don't have to lay awake at night wondering whether he's getting his end of the things done or think about the things that he needs to think about. Um, I never have to do that. And I hope that if he was on here right now, he would say he doesn't lay awake at night thinking about what we have to do offensively in order to be at our best. So kind of in the same mode offensively. What are some of the things that you believe in, like as the offensive coordinator? Like, what do you guys have to do to be successful? Yeah, I've really, Joe, I like, I really have had the same philosophy for a long time. And it really probably goes, uh, even at Western Connecticut when I was there, I just didn't know I had a philosophy then. Uh, 
you know, and it was probably about, uh, you know, at, at, when I was the coordinator at Rutgers, it, we, we had a really good year, then we were average, and then we were terrible, right? And what you find out in this profession is, you know, when you're, you're not very good, there's a price to pay for that, right? And so I ended up getting fired there. And, uh, and Coach Ciano and I was one of the, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without him, um, taught me so much. And we're really good friends. That's really weird, right? He fired me and we're still really good friends. Um, but I owe him a lot. But one of the things that after I got fired there, once I got done with the uh, being mad about it and thinking about all the things I didn't have any control over, I started thinking about the things I could have done differently. And uh, so I started thinking about this philosophy. What, what is my philosophy? Because I think one of the where we got a little sideways there is that we got a little smorgasbordy on offense with a lot of different things and ideas. And we weren't very good. So usually that's what you do when you're not very good, right? You start trying a bunch of different things. And what you find out in the end is none of them worked, right? But um, so I, I really started thinking about it. And, you know, my, my at that time, I wrote down on a piece of paper and it was really what we did at Delaware is we were, uh, uh, we took care of the ball. Right. So the ball is the program. We're going to take care of the ball. We're going to win the turnover battle. We're going to out execute you. Right. That means that, you know, execution is alignment, assignment, technique, and then doing it. Right. You can't execute something without actually doing the task. But we think what gives you the best chance of doing it is knowing your alignment and your assignment. And then there's details, those technique, those fundamentals they give you the best chance to be able to do your job. So that became really important to me, uh, that piece of it, that execution part. And then the last part was we were going to play harder than our opponent. We, we were, we were going to be relentless and, and play harder. So they were those, those three pillars that I had written down after that. And the, the thing that, uh, I've been able to, after writing it down, right, and really thinking about knowing that's what I believed in. And when I look back and where I had been successful, those pillars were always in place, right? They were three things that we always were doing well. Um, and so when I got to Western Michigan and we were the, we were the worst offense in the country the first year I was at Western Michigan, but I never, Every decision I made that whole time I was there, that first year we were there, everything went back to those three pillars, right? That we, we've got to do these three things, right? And we're going to just continue to pursue it and get a little bit better every day at it. And, um, you know, and then it slowly was able to turn, right? By our second year, we became, you know, an average offense. You know, by the third year, we were good. And the fourth year, we were as good as anybody in the country. But I, I think that when you talk about philosophies, you know, I always tell the guys all the time, like every decision I make, I think about how does it affect those three things? Because those three things, like I believe if you take those three things and you have talented football players, right, that that is a championship formula. And that's, that's what works for me, right? And so understanding that what works for you and then building it and, and staying true to that, um, you know, I, I think that's critical for anybody uh, in, in the coaching profession is because that my what works for me that I, if that was the only way to win a championship, then I could write a book and I could sell millions of copies of it. Right. 
but there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and to get things done. But I know what works for me, right? And my style of coaching and the way I want our teams to play. And it ties in that, you know, playing harder than your, your, your opponent ties in that physical component that I really like to about the game of football too, you know, being physical. Uh, so it, it, you can go, it, we could talk about this for hours, Joe, like, you yeah. know, I, I love talking yeah. about this stuff and I know you do too. <laughs> so, uh, so say, so, so building on that real quick before we switch topics, some of that stuff's tangible, right? Like alignment assignment, easy to uh, kind of quantify, I guess is the word uh, playing hard. Uh, like how do you, what is your process of, uh, if you if you don't mind giving it away, like how do you get, how do you measure, how do you get your guys to play hard? Well, I, I do think it is, uh, you know, subjective, right, with it. But the the thing is, the one of the things that we tell the guys is, you know, it's just like taking care of the ball, right? You know, you, you got to give them, you got to tell them why it's important, right? And taking care of the ball is easy because you show them the statistics, right? with it but playing hard right is uh can be subjective and so you have to give you have to paint a really clear picture of what it's about to them right and so i'll pull the clips from practice or video and show them examples of what's not there's more in their tank right here and then show them what is right um in in front of the guys but the biggest thing there is it doesn't do any good if we have five guys playing uh, super hard. We got to have all eleven, right? It becomes there's this thing, this synergy, or this. I talk about it's like it's like the difference between adding and multiplying, right? If we got all eleven, we got to have all eleven guys doing it play after play because you don't know when it can change the story of the game and when it can affect the game. You know, that receiver who's running an RPO and he runs his route, runs a hitch, say he runs a hitch, he runs his hitch and he clearly sees the ball is handed off, right? Well, we want him to turn and engage somebody immediately, right? When that happens and he might do it 70 times and it didn't have any effect at all but play number 71 it could be the difference between a touchdown so i i have like a some plays saved that are examples of it you know of it mattering and making a difference you don't know when it, it matters when it matters right and um but that's part of you know the, the getting that across is part of building that how important the accountability commitment and accountability are right to each other like you got to be accountable and committed to the team and everybody in order to do that play after play after play right and it it takes time it really does I think that anywhere you go like if you looked at our offense at Western Michigan in year four compared to year one or two like wow what a difference in how hard they played in those years and you know it was the same thing when we got here to Minnesota you know the first year we did not play very hard you know, the, at least they felt they were playing hard, but not in our mind. Um, and then you looked at 2019 and you would have seen guys, you know, playing a lot more with their hair on fire or, you know, that we, we talk about, we call it the how here, you know, when we want that how meter to be dead red, man, we want it to be in the red all the time uh, with it. And it, it, it's a process. And I think, you know, the older players, help indoctrinate the young players in there, but you, you have to take, if it's really important to you, 
you, you have to take the time. I'll take the time in the unit meeting to show the clips. And the kids love seeing their, we call it how clips on the film, you know, with it. But also, though, I'm not afraid to show them when it's not a, it's not our standard. So, right? so what is the how? The how is basically playing hard. Yeah. You know, how, how we talk about something? that. What's that? Does it actually stand for something? Like, is there, is there an no, okay. it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it's, it mean, I, 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 when I explain the how to our freshmen, I start out with like, Hey, now this, this word has a bunch of different meanings um, here. How we do one thing is how we do everything, um, you know, with it. But Basically, it's playing hard, uh, being relentless, play after play um, with it. Like that's how we talk. We talk about uh, necktime mentality, you know, always attack and never fool. You know, that's part of the how, um, you know, all out all the time. So it, it it's a process. And, and Joe, as you know, like at the end of the year, you know, when you review the cut ups, you know, like I'm always telling our assistant coaches that we can play harder. We're not playing hard enough. Right. Coach, you've you gotten to work with some very special talent over the years. Uh, and it, some names of people will know immediately. Uh, Flacco, Davis, others. Um, it's, is it, do you allow yourself to have a little personal enjoyment in, in watching those guys make it? to the next level and not just make it succeed at the next level? Oh, I, I think you do. Um, I think I've gotten better at that as I got older of when I'm with, uh, you know, you know, and Joel attests to this, like, you know, when you're with a special talent, you're coaching a special guy, um, you know, and uh, I've, I've gotten a lot better as I got older of enjoying that ride. You know, when I had Corey Davis at, uh, I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I should have when I had Joe Flacco. Um, although I knew he was special, but I, I don't think I really enjoyed it as much. But when I had Corey Davis, there was a lot of times where even on the practice field, I would just step back and smile and be like, wow, this is really enjoyable coaching this guy. <laughs> um, he's unbelievable. Uh, so I, I think you do and you need to you know, because they're special for a reason. And I definitely root for them. Uh, I think that one of the greatest things I get is I'll get an email from, uh, uh, I got a text from uh, Thomas Delvecchio. Yeah, he just did uh, the podcast a couple weeks ago. Did he? Yeah. Cool. Um, you know, it was probably a year or two ago I got an email from him. And I, I love that because like all – it was an email about some neighbor's son or something like that, you know. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, though, when they email me to tell me about some friend of theirs, his son's football player or whatever, to evaluate his film, they don't realize that they're going to get an email back with, tell me what everybody's doing, you know. And so they, they that next email they send me is like a page and a half long, and I, I, I love getting that. So I love keeping track of the guys and hearing from them. And, and the NF guys that end up playing in the NFL, you certainly love watching them on TV. I don't even have an NFL team anymore. It changes depending on where our players are at that we've coached and been around. So so, so here's a question, Coach. Uh, NILs, the uh, transfer portal, how much is that uh, shaking up your, you know, your job a little bit, I guess? 
<laughs> that's, <laughs> what, that's what everyone's saying. They're just laughing. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, right? You know, it, it's the NIL is uh, it's a great idea, and it's I'm for it. I'm for the players uh, getting sharing in the revenue, right? Um, but it, it, it's what's tricky right now is there's no real playbook and there's no real rules with it. There really isn't. And so um, that's a concern, right? The concern for me is the game, right? The game of football. And so like that is, uh, uh, you know, I think that we need to figure out how to uh, come up with some type of rules and police them within that NIL um, with it. So, and, and that's above my pay grade, uh, with it. So, but that's, that's, it's a concern. Like, where's the game headed right now? Um, for an old guy like me, um, you know, with it. So that's concerning, but I think on this, the NIL idea and rule, like to have it for the players is awesome. It's awesome. We just need to figure out how to, incorporate it and keep the playing field somewhat level. Um, the, the transfer portal is just different, right? Um, again, for a guy like me that, you know, grew up with, if you want to transfer somewhere, fine, but you have to go down or you have to sit a whole year. Um, it's just different, but I don't think it's bad. I just think it's different. Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, we as coaches will adjust to it and there'll be some good that ends up coming out of it. That's for sure. Yeah, it seems um, like like a school like Minnesota where, where Coach Fleck is a positive guy. Uh, probably transfer portal is probably a positive thing for you guys. It seems like the coaches that are maybe a little more negative may, may have to be a little more concerned with kids leaving because of the way they're getting coached a little bit too. I don't know if that that's, uh, you know, a factor at your level at all. Uh, I think it's um, – Or is it all think, because the NIL is tied into the money and all that stuff kind of – it's hard to, to gauge yeah, a little I, bit? Yeah, I think the NIL has – on the surface, I think that's where the transfer portal by itself would have been at its best. Um, you know, I, I think that what's bad about the transfer portal is that I think the – you know, like the non, I can't imagine being at a non power five school right now. You know, what we did at Western Michigan, I don't think that it can be done again. Um, you know, Kirk, at his, you know, it's funny you said that my buddy is a, the DC at a non power five. He's the DC, and I don't, I don't want to say where he's at, but he said he lost, they lost four of their five starting offensive linemen this year. Gone. Just, just lost in the transfer portal, mid major, you know. Yeah, I, that's concerning. Like, we would have never been able to hold on to Corey Davis with the NIL and the transfer portal in effect. I mean, and who could blame him, right? Uh, you know, because after his true freshman year, I mean, I think he had like 80 catches as a true freshman. I shoot, I threw him the ball every play practically. <laughs> uh, um you know, he would have gotten gobbled up and been gone. You know, our quarterback that we had there that was a four-year starter for us, you know, he would have been gobbled up and been gone. Uh, we ended up with, like, three or four offensive linemen that we had ended up getting drafted. 
they would have gotten gobbled up and been gone. So that team would have never been able to develop uh, together. Um, but I mean, but I do think I do. I think that the the transfer portal by itself, the coaches are going to adjust and it'll be positive for the players. And it's certainly positive. Uh, I never understood you know, why a guy who w- wasn't playing somewhere and wanted to go play, why he couldn't transfer to another school on the same level and be eligible immediately, right? Especially if both parties agreed that, you know, if that school that he was at agreed that, hey, he, you should have another opportunity to go somewhere. Um, I never quite saw the logic in the way the old transfer rules were. So, um, but it, you know, it's, it's new and any, we, we don't like new things for the most part as coaches, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're creatures of habit. So, um, but I do see just a ton of positives in both, both things that could make the game a lot better if handled right. Well, coach, to what you're saying, there's, it's one thing, or at least personally for me, it's one thing if you're, if a school has, let's say over-recruited at a certain position and suddenly you're going to be a junior or a senior, and you find yourself, there's five, six other quarterbacks here. So you exit, you end up at Kentucky, wherever. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm in with, with that, but just shift over to, to basketball and what happened with St. Peter's. Oh, yeah. St. Peter's gets a nice big dance, a marvelous run, a great Cinderella story, and the NCAA tourney. And the season ends, and everybody takes the first train out of Jersey City uh, to another program. Uh, that's that's where I end up with a problem because literally you've you've taken a program that went and <coughs> built and had a philosophy, and it's gone. You may never, you may never get invited to that dance again, considering the way your your program has now been gutted. Hey, hey Kirk, Kirk, here's a question here. Coach John Servino was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> kind of want to switch midstream here a little bit. So do you have a Coach Servino story that, that maybe you'd like to share with everyone that might uh, entertain some people? Well, I think uh, I don't know where to start <laughs> um, and whether it's clean enough uh, for the podcast, but uh, – no, I think first is like when you think back about your time with John was, uh, again, right. It, he was great for me in my career because like he was a guy who was like really organized and he was always talking about this thing called a teaching progression yep. and uh, analyzing that type of stuff you know, with it. And so like, it got you thinking as a coach, you know, and he always challenged the heck out of you um, to be better during the game and everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he did teach me how to like, there's, I, I laugh all the time um, at people whenever they talk about like head coaches who uh, talk when they're trying to call the game or whatnot, you know, I laugh. I was like, listen, like the first time I ever had to call a game, I said, I work for this guy that I, I go, I go, no, I gotta, I gotta just tell you how this went at times during the game. 
he would switch over and he'd go, uh, he'd be like, what you got, Shrock? What you got? What you got? <laughs> and I'd say, uh, I got tossed to the right. I called toss right, 48 toss or whatever it was called then. And uh, he'd go, oh, no, that's a terrible, man. this better work. This is a terrible call. This thing going to work. And if the kid would pop for 12 yards right in midstream, he'd be like, right in the middle, this is a terrible call. Great call. That's a great call. I love it. I love it. And, and But if it was minus six, he'd be like, I told you that was a so you had this play-by-play running in your head as you're trying to call the next play um you know and uh uh so like it was great training for me you you just got used to it and you just were able to block it out uh you know with it um but there's so many great stories um the things john would say sometimes were just hilarious uh you know, but my favorite one is when we were playing Stony Brook and uh, Mike Brennan was our O-line coach then. <laughs> Remember Brennan, oh, yeah. right? And uh, this guy, he's making, what, two grand or something <laughs> to be the O-line coach. And uh, we weren't very good. Uh, you know, it was that, I think it was my first year as a coordinator there. We weren't very good. And we were playing Stony Brook and it was like 30, nothing at halftime. And we had like 12 holding calls. <laughs> and and uh, John, John looks at Brennan. He goes, Brennan, we get one more holding call. You're fired. <laughs> I, even I couldn't stop laughing at that point. Uh, so that's probably my favorite one. Um, you know, there's so many. My, my another great one would be when he would want me to. We still joke. You made a joke about it today. Was uh, I want on <laughs> forty two on? Give the ball to Barbo. Uh, you know, so that type of stuff was great. But um, but I do I do look at back on my career and the the uh, the things that John taught me you know, were invaluable, you know, those things I mentioned, like in recruiting, um, I thought he was a little ahead of his time with the home visits and uh, the accountability that he had with the phone calls and the way that he organized that, you know, we had those long recruiting meetings that we all hated, but they were needed um, with it. So there's, there's a lot of great things. Uh, could never beat the guy in golf either. Um, <laughs> For a lot of reasons, <laughs> uh, he, he he wasn't a great he wasn't great at counting beyond five, you know. Um, so, but uh, no, great times though, just great times and invaluable experience. How's conference looking this year, Coach? Uh, the Big Ten's always uh, tough. You know, it, it's it's a grind every week. You know, the fact that we play nine conference games is. Uh, difficult, um, and every game's a, a battle, that's Who, for sure. Who's your non-conference? Huh? We play uh, New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado okay. non-conference, and we play in the first three games. How, how is the – I know you guys built a new stadium a couple years ago. How's the uh, the new stadium and all that stuff facility-wise there? Yeah, they, they, they did a great job. We were really fortunate when we came here. They had already built the stadium. The stadium was done and operational, um, and they did a great job with it, put it right on campus, um, seats about 55,000. 
um, which is perfect size for us. Uh, you know, beautiful, right? And but they had already broken ground on. They also needed new facilities for offices, weight room, all that stuff. You know, they hadn't done anything in a long time here, and they had already broken ground on the new football building and what they're call they call Athletes Village now, which was. You know, it's a new dining hall for all the athletes. It's an academics center, um, you know, for our guys. And there's two practice courts for the basketball team in this other building that's right across within 20 steps of our football building. And they built us a, you know, $168 million football facility, football only building, which a brand new weight room, brand new indoor, um, which was something we saw a school like Minnesota sorely needed. We have two indoors now, one for all the other sports and then one for football. Um, You know, so the facilities, and I got to give the credit to the administration because when they decided to build the new facilities, they really did it with a nice vision of, you know, 20 years from now, this will still be a nice facility um, with it. I'm not going to say we have the best facility in the country, but we certainly have everything that everybody else has. you know, in this arms race that we have in college football at times uh, with it. So it's, it's been great. Coach, I don't think people appreciate enough uh, the history of Minnesota football. It, 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 it may get lost a little bit in a Big Ten next to the Michigans and the Wisconsins, et cetera, and it shouldn't. It, it's a program that's won close to 200 more games than they've lost, in their history, it's a program that even if there's been a distance in national crowns, uh, how many schools can say they've got a national crown or two or three in their trophy case? It, it's happened there. Um, and I know you mentioned the, uh, the new facility, so I, I think it gets lost sometimes about what an integral part of college football Minnesota has been over these many years. Uh, and obviously, Coach Fleck, yourself, uh, are responsible for helping to bring it back into the, the consciousness, waking people up, slapping them upside the head a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, we do have a proud history uh, here. You know, I, I think it's seven national titles um, that, that they won, but they haven't, you know, that history kind of ends in the 60s uh you know with it and so one of the things that you know coach flex won't really wants to do is you know is bring that tradition to the present now you know and marry it up um you know in in the present with the past uh with it and so we're, we're getting there um we won 11 games in 2019 it was the first time they had won that many games in a long long time here and uh, then they went through COVID and, you know, that's COVID's COVID. Um, you know, they had a lot of things they had to battle through that year in 2020. And then this past season, they ended up winning nine games, you know, so um, that's pretty good. You know, we, yeah. we've got a good, a good program here. Um, we do a great job at developing our players, uh, you know, but, you know, now we got to go from good to great, you know, and, and that's our focus right now is figuring out how to win. We haven't been able to win the Big Ten West yet. We've been real close twice, um, but we haven't been able to quite get over that hump. So we, we need to get over that hump and 
you know, getting that Big Ten championship game. Yeah, that's why they call you coach, right? Got to get that done. Exactly, Joe. <laughs> that's exactly right. I, I, you know, the last thing I'll, I'll leave on here, I heard that the, uh, the campus and even the city itself super unique in that everything's underground and just a very unique kind of campus to be able to get around and, 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 you know, the weather, not as big of an issue as you would think at a school like university of Minnesota. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful campus. Um, it, it, for, a you know, it's, it's in this major city, Minneapolis, but it's, it's on the edge of the city. And so everything on the campus is what I consider self-contained, meaning you can walk, from the dorms to the athletic facilities, to the fields, to the stadium, from one end of the campus to the other, um, which I think is really unique in a city campus. And again, it goes back to whenever they, usually the city campuses get landlocked and there's nowhere to build anything else. So then you have to go two miles down this road to buy this property and to build something. That wasn't the case here with it. So it's a beautiful campus. Um, and but yet you have this major city right here that's you know downtown is probably a five minute ride um, to downtown Minneapolis, which is a great city, uh, you know, with it. So it, it's it's got a little bit for everybody. I think that that allows us to recruit all different types of kids, not just. I've worked at some schools that have been in the city where you really to get a rural kid to go to school there, you probably had to be his only offer. Um, you know, whereas in the University of Minnesota, it's got great academics. Um, so, and you can, they do have an underground system that you can't, you don't have to go outside um, if you don't need to. But honestly, it's the winters are, the the spring and summers here are, and falls are beautiful. Like the, there's very little, you. These people, they say, oh, it's humid today. <laughs> you know, being an East Coast guy, I'll be like, are you kidding me? This is not humid. Uh, um, it's beautiful. You know, the winters are, can be cold at times and, and hard, but you you kind of get used to it. Um, you know, when, it's, when, uh, when I moved uh, back East again, you know, it was like in the 20s in the wintertime there, and I found myself not wanting to go outside. But out here, when it's in the winter and it's in the 20s, you'll take your dogs on a five-mile walk. You know, you just kind of get used to it. It doesn't seem that cold uh, for you. But then we do have those stretches where it's zero degrees out, and that's cold no matter where you're at. (laughs) Of course. But as of Memorial Day, there's no more snow on the ground in Minneapolis, right? No. No snow. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's actually beautiful right now. Yeah. Well, well, Kirk, really appreciate, appreciate you coming on today. Really do. No, nah, that's great, you, Joe. Want to wish you the best of luck for the upcoming season as well. And please tell Coach Fleck that we know he's not an imposter. It's the real <laughs> PJ working with you. Uh, I'll, I'll relay that to him. And uh, a lot of great memories at 181 White Street. No question. Uh, you know, um, so it was, it was fun, uh, real fun. And like I said, we, I love keeping in touch. You know, uh, the only thing I'm going to complain about is, uh, you had Jimmy on there before I got to call to get right, on here. Right. <laughs> you, know, you defensive guys stuck to stick together, I guess. <laughs> no, 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 we appreciate you coming me. on. Really, really do, Kirk, and obviously we'll follow you and we'll talk and stuff like that. And uh, But appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, man. Love catching up with you, Joe. Yep, See ya. Good. Thanks. Bye-bye. 
Well, we have to wrap up this edition of the Westcott Football Podcast. Bart Pasterna, Coach Joe Loth, Pooch behind the glass, and we had a great guest. Kirk Sharaka is uh, one of the best and the and the brightest. The proof is in the pudding with a lot of the people that he's developed over the years and uh, uh, gets to work with a great one, P.J. Fleck, and many. Yeah, and a great guy. You know, that's one of the things I like about doing these podcasts. Sometimes we head down the Western Connecticut road. Sometimes we head some different directions, and that was just, I thought, a really good conversation with Kirk and some of the stuff they're doing in Minnesota, but then coming back to his days at Western a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was really uh, great talking to Kirk today. Not And, and, and one of those two-stop guys. Yeah. You know, yeah, no he, question. Been a couple of them, right? That, I'm, that, I'm one of them. Well, that's right. You are. You're one of them. So race. So race. Yeah. So, so you know, it's not. It's not so rare a breed, but it is a rare breed, in a way. And it's a, a testament to a program that continues to develop. In the weeks to come, we'll be chatting with some very interesting folks, as per usual, on the podcast that's brought to you by. Vision Design and Soho Pizza now. Yeah, Soho Pizza. Good stuff. In fact, I think after the podcast, I could go for a couple of slices. I tell you, Alan over there is a really good dude. I mean, great place. I know our guys. I was over there today. We were talking about sponsorship. And he's like, man, all your guys come in here. He's bringing up Jazari. He's bringing up – I saw Eli Kukulis over there. So definitely a place our, guy, our guys frequent a lot. Ooh. Well, and if – if at some time we end up seeing the visual aspect of this podcast, people will question why I have a D on my shirt is today. That the, is that the Danbury Westerners? It's the it's the Danbury Westerners and not Joe Loth and the Dummy. Okay, <laughs> so I just want to I just want to make that clear. To, uh, to but, you, but you do. What do you have sitting right here, though? Bob? Ah, well, that's right. I've, I've got and uh, incoming and for the in the Ooh. weeks to come, I'll be able to. <laughs> yes, I'll I'll be a, officially a finally. And, and I do have I ordered gear for uh, Bart a while ago. I know that was a topic of conversation early in this podcast. <laughs> well, but, and, but but the uh, the supply chain issues are affecting uh, Westcon football gear right now. Well, and and part of the problem is we have to make sure they can cover my ample gut. Oh boy! So <laughs> uh, you know that's it's kind of a a prerequisite. We don't want to scare the kids out there uh, in case when, when the visual portion. Comes out, but we hope people stay linked up with us. Make sure you check out the podcast as often as you can. Your support is appreciated, and uh, Coach Loth and I will be returning uh, with some more folks for you to uh, reminisce with and just have a good time with because we certainly do. Thanks for being with us, Westcott Football Podcast. Adios, everybody. The Westcon Football Podcast is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WCSU Podcasts, and feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening.